Christ Church Kingwood is a Christ-centered church that seeks to proclaim the gospel in both word and deed by glorifying God and making disciples of Jesus Christ. Join us now as we worship together in the ministry of the word. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Well, good morning. Just want to say happy Mother's Day to all of you. If you're a visitor, welcome. So glad you guys are here this morning. Um, I did the mistake of looking over my notes thinking I need to pare this down and I increased my word count. So I apologize. I know this is Mother's Day. I'm going to just, we're going to hop right in because I got excited about this text and wrote a lot. So we need to, we need to kind of blast through it. So uh, if you have your Bibles, open them. You can open to Galatians chapter 3, verses 23. 3 through 29, that's where we're going to be. We're picking up on a continuation of what Patrick preached last week. It's, it's Paul's discussion of the law and the promises and of Christ. So it should be a fun one. So let me read the text, let's pray, and we'll dive in. So it's, it's Galatians three twenty three is where we're going to pick up. And it says, starting in verse 23, Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned, until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we may be justified by faith. But now faith has come. We are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are in Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Let's pray. Father, as we open your word this morning, turn our hearts and our minds to you. The busyness of weekends filled of, of exciting retreats and celebrations, Father, let us not forget your goodness in our lives, Father and the love you have for us through your son, Jesus. Father, make these words uh, come alive to us that we might know more of you and more of us. We pray this in the name of your son, amen. So uh, we're gonna hop back into this, this discussion of law and faith with what, what uh, Patrick is, uh, or what, what Patrick covered. If you didn't get a chance to hear last week's sermon, super good sermon. I encourage you to go back and listen to the podcast. It was a really good one. Uh, but we're gonna dive back into this, this discussion of the law. And you may be at this point now where it feels like we've been in Galatians for, for months, weeks, and you're like, I'm kinda done hearing about the law. It's always the law, it's the law, it's the law, it's the law, over and over again. But uh, you, you can begin to think to yourself, Paul's only got like one, one string to play on his instrument. He's only, he only knows one tune, but he, he's not yet done with this discussion. He's got one more thing he needs these Galatian believers and really all believers to understand about the gospel. He wants, he wants to really make clear this understanding of the relationship of the law and of faith. And so in our verses this morning, that's really what we're going to consider is this contrast of being under the law and being in Christ. 
And so that's the distinction we're going to have this morning. So, like I said, we're going to hop right in. But in verses 23 and 24, 23 and 24, you have this idea of what it means to be under the law. And it says, before faith came, we were held captive by the law. We were imprisoned under it. And so then the law came and was our, or I'm sorry, and so the law was our guardian until Christ came. And so what we see in these, these, these verses is that Paul says to be under the law is to be, is to be held captive, to be bound up, to be confined by the law. We are in bondage under the law. And so you get these two really rapid fire, very quick succession of word pictures. And I love, I love word pictures that really paint such a broad understanding of what is happening. And so in this first verse, in 23, you see that he says we are held captive or imprisoned by the law. This word Paul uses for, for captive here has, has a military sense to the word, right? Uh, it is, it is the, like to be, to be under protection of a military guard, right? So if, if you have um, any sort of history knowledge, I love history, you have uh, uh, during the Revolutionary War the, the, the siege and the um, holding of, of Boston, right? You have uh, the city of Boston was seized and occupied by the British in the winter of 1775. And, and this, this occupation, this seizing, this holding captive of the city did two things, right? It kept the American forces out, but it also kept those who were inhabiting the city within. And so really, this is this, is a, this idea of being held captive, right? It is... It is um, being keeping the, the enemy outside the gate and keeping the inhabitants in. So when we are talking about being under the law, we are held captive by the law in this way. Neither, neither out nor in happens. You are confined, you are restrained, you are held in custody, as some translations might say. And so the, this phrase gives you this, this understanding of the totality in which you can try to escape the law, but you will fail. You see, there is no Houdini-style move, right, where you can magically have swallowed a key previously and find like, oh, I'm free from the law. There is no escape from the law. You are confined by it. You see, the word imprisoned that he uses at the end of 23 has a similar understanding as captive, right? We are imprisoned or, or otherwise could be translated, you are hemmed in, right? You are, you are walled in, cooped up. There is no escape from it. You have been surrounded. And as I was thinking about this, this weekend, I thought of the, the prophet uh, Hosea, right? And you have, you have this beautiful picture of, of the people of Israel and their relationship with God in this horrible mess of a situation in the life of Hosea. It's a great book. I encourage you to read it um, if you have like a weekend to sit and think. Uh, but, but what you see is, is this story of this unfaithful wife, Right? Um, which is a picture of, of the people of Israel. And, and it says he, he, he hedges up her ways and blocks her path so there is no escape from the mess in which she is surrounded in. And so Paul is saying you are under the law in this way. You are imprisoned by it, hedged up in a mess of your own making in the sin in which you now sit. 
And so he's saying, like I said, this, this under the law, you are, you are captive to it. It is your, your jailer, or at least it is the prison cell in which you now reside. And so he says it's under the law. We are imprisoned by it, but then he goes on. Right, verse 24, he gives this next picture, this idea that the law is a guardian. Now, some translations might say tutor or, or schoolmaster if you're reading King James, right? Uh, and those, those aren't the entirety of the picture, but they, say they certainly contain in it this idea of guardian. It is one who cares for, looks after, and instructs and disciplines a child. The Greek word there, and I'll butcher it, but I think it goes a long way to say it. It's, it's a pedagogos, which is exactly uh, what it sounds like, right? Because you know Greek. Uh, it, it is exactly this, and a commentator summed it up best, and it says... Uh, it literally means a tutor, but more specifically, they were to be a guide and a guardian of these children. They were to usually be himself a slave whose duties it was to conduct the boys or the youth to and from school, to be a superintendent of their conduct. Sometimes this, this instruction would be, would be harsh, right? Right? Disciplined under severe correction is how this guardian operate, operated. This is more of a, of a disciplinarian rather than a loving tutor. Think, think um, of, uh, you know, Miss Trunchbull and Matilda more than Mary Poppins, if that, that means anything to you, right? When these are depicted in, in images from this time, they're typically depicted with a rod or a staff in their hand, right? That's how they're, they're doling out the punishment. Paul is saying that the law is, is a strict and often harsh nanny or governess or, or tutor instructing and disciplining you until you are learned and able. So what is Paul saying with these word pictures, right? In, in what way was the law like a jailer or like a uh, youth's disciplinarian? How are we under the law? Paul is saying here what he says in Romans, that uh, before Christ, all men were under the law. Look at what Paul says in Romans 1, 18 through 21. It says, for the wrath of God is revealed against heaven and all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress truth, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God, nor give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. You see, brothers and sisters, the, the law, when we talk about this, it is the law of God, but it is God's will for his people. Right? The Old Testament calls it a lamp to their feet, a light to the path. His law is good and he instructs us on how and the what we are to do, but not only that, also the, the what not to do and to avoid. The law tells us also that there is penalty for our disobedience. And we all have disobeyed, all of us, right? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 
Paul says this in just one verse earlier in verse 22, what we covered last week, that we are not only under the law, but by our disobedience, we are imprisoned under sin. So we are under the law and we are under sin. Now listen, if we are under sin, then we are under the curse of the law, right? This is this whole argument he's building up. You see, this is, this is what he's saying. He's saying, he's walking the Galatians through this, starting in verse 10, right? That we are by nature, by our nature, and our attempt at law keeping, whether it's through the Mosaic law or through just the natural observance of life, we, we attempt it and then we are cursed by it. And if we are cursed by it, then we are imprisoned under sin. And thereby we are under the curse of the law. This is what he's leading up to. There's nothing we can do. There's nothing you can do to free yourself from the bondage and imprisonment of sin. What we see is that the law cannot save us. The law merely confines us as a jailer in our cell of, of our own sinfulness or, or like a scornful teacher or guardian. It disciplines us for our misdeeds and infractions, right? So he's giving us this, these, these beautiful pictures of how the law operates, but don't throw, brothers and sisters, do not throw your hands up in despair and say, okay, well, this is, this is hopeless then, right? This oppression and imprisonment was not permanent, nor was this guardian to always be in charge of a wayward child. He was to, the, the, the nature of that position, at, at the appointed time he was to hand off these children to the father. You see, there's hope in both of these pictures because they both have an expiration date. Look at them again. It says that we were held captive, right, in 23, when until the coming of faith and would be revealed. And, and, and the law was a guardian when until Christ came. Understand that God, God in his grace and in his love gave us the law that we might be instructed by it and it might hold us captive until faith and Christ were at hand. Paul is saying here that the law was our, our captor, shutting us in prison until Christ should come and set us free. Until Christ would break down the walls of the cell. It was the law who put us under as a tutor or a guardian until Christ should come and make us sons and daughters. He gave us the law in grace to make the promise more precious and desirable. Both verses 22 and 23 tell us the oppressive work of the law was only temporary. And it was ultimately not intended to hurt, but to bless. Think about how we've talked about this over the past few weeks. Christ could set us free from the curse of the law because only Christ was able to become a curse for us. You see, in love, the story of Hosea that I mentioned earlier, it is the unfaithful wife who is, who is hemmed up, right? The, the people of Israel who are hemmed up in their own sinfulness and hedged in and forced into the desert, not for their destruction, but so that the verses say that he, so he could speak tenderly to her, right? And restore her 
Listen, brothers and sisters, only Christ can free us from the harsh lessons of a tutor because only by his blood can he make us sons and daughters. It is only by and through the power and blood of Jesus Christ alone that we can love and obey the Father and keep his word. In him, we are no longer wayward pupils, right? But obedient children. And there's so, there's so much gospel in these verses. It almost uh, explodes, bursts at the seam. But let's, let's move on. Let's look at verse 25, right? Two words, so important. You have what we were under the law and then verse 25 begins, but now, but now. You see, there has been a change. Something is different. There was something then, and now there is something now. We could spend a week just unpacking those two words. Because before was it was the law it was sin it was death through the curse but now so what changed what what is now now you have Christ Jesus verses 23 and 24 show us that under the law that we were under the law now Paul moves to what we are in Christ these last four verses if you look at them Christ is all over them Everywhere it is Christ. He gets name dropped like it's, like it's the last thing Paul can do. It is in every one of these verses. He is in everything. So let's unpack what it looks like and what it means to be in Christ. If that was under the law, what does it mean to be in Christ? This is what Paul was wanting these Galatian believers to realize that in Christ we are new creations, right? Not under the curse of sin and death, and they no longer reign in us. We are in Christ. And we could fill a week discussing that, right? We could fill forever what it means to be in Christ, right? That's the understanding of discipleship. We're constantly growing in our knowledge and following after the Son. But I wanna point out four things this morning from these texts. Here's what it means to be in Christ. Let's hop down to verse 26. It says, for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. So life in Christ is that we are no longer disobedient pupils. We are now children of God. Do you see the change? Under the law, God was judge, right? It was... Uh, he has, has, through the law, condemned us as lawbreakers, and we were imprisoned under the law, guilty to the curse of the law, and were under his discipline. Under the law, God was our tutor. The law was our tutor, and through the law, we were disciplined for our waywardness. But in Christ, God is now the Father, and we are his children. By faith, through the work of Christ Jesus, we are God's children, loved and forgiven. Right, the prisoner is in fear of the jailer. 
of the punishment he rightly deserved. There is no more fear of punishment. There is no more dread of the prisoner waiting that final day. We are his children. We are, as Paul says later, heirs, his heirs according to the promise. Brothers, sit, sit and just reflect for a second on the wonder and rejoice at the change as that those who were far off have been brought near. Those who were no longer, or those who were, were sinners and separated from God are now called sons and daughters of God. From strangers to sons, from death to life, we are now sons and daughters through faith in Christ Jesus. We are now sons and daughters through faith in Christ Jesus. You see, this change was not because some secret word was said or at just the right time we prayed just the right words in just the right orders. No, it is through faith. That's how verse 26 ends. It is only, you see, through faith that we are children of God. And think how this must have sounded to these Judaizers, right? These, these men from, from Rome who were coming and saying, do this and do that. It is, it is the Jewish people who are, are priority and confusing these Galatian believers. You see, these men had held that they had the favored status of children of God solely because they were Jews. It was since they were Jews, they thought that they themselves and they alone were God's children. And so they began to treat these Gentile Christians as second-class citizens, second-rate members of the family of God. But now God is saying that those who are in, or now Paul is saying that those who are in Christ through faith are God's children. And he says it this way, that you are all sons of God meaning both Jew and Gentile, right? He is making it clear that it is not by or heredity, it is not by simply being Jewish that you are a child of God, but it is through faith that we are adopted into the family of God. This idea of adoption is not, not just Jews alone that, that, are, that are God's children, but all have the ability to become God's children through adoption. Legally speaking, as one commentator said, an adopted child is a true son or daughter. He has the same rights and privileges as that of a natural born child. You see, as an as a adopted child of God, there is someone to call father. There is someone to care for every need. There is someone who will give us fatherly affection and discipline. In adoption, the adopted child will receive a full share of the inheritance of the family. You see, this is the kind of access we have. In Christ, we are no longer slaves and sinners. We are sons and daughters of God. And he goes on in 27 and says, um, where we're not gonna spend a lot of time, but he says that as many of you were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And I don't want to get twisted up by the use of baptism here. Uh, what he's saying is that he's not throwing in some work, right? Paul, Paul having so, so eloquently defended faith is now going to confuse it by throwing in some obligation, right? That's not what's going on here. But rather what he's saying is, is 
the, the whole point of what he's trying to communicate and get across to these Galatian believers is the gospel message, right? The message of a crucified and resurrected Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, baptism is a symbol of our personal connection to Christ in these saving events. We are united to the Savior who died and who rose again. And in him, we have a new identity. We have new life. And so baptism is representation of that. And we are, we are uniting ourselves in what God has done with us through Christ Jesus. And then he goes on where I want to spend a little bit of time reflecting in the second part of that verse, that those who are in Christ have put on Christ. So what it means to be in Christ is that we are sons and daughters and we have put on Christ. It's not what, unlike what Paul says in Romans 13, right? He reminds the people to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Brothers and sisters, if you are in Christ, your life should look like you are clothed with Christ. You have been freed from prison and made heirs to the kingdom why would we still clothe ourselves in prison garb? Now, of course, he's not talking about actual clothes. Don't misunderstand me. He is talking about clothing ourselves with the very being of who Christ is. When Paul, speaking about his own life in chapter 2, says it this way, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ in me, who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. This is the reminder, right, that in Christ we are to put into practice daily what we already are in Jesus. It is that now through the work of Christ we can, as sons and daughters of God, obey in love the commandments that he has given us, not by our own being and ability, but put on Christ. And so by his power and his grace, we obey the commandments of our Lord. So we are not only sons and daughters of God who put on Christ daily, but we are also united in Christ as brothers and sisters. Verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. There's frequent, a lot of confusion about this verse and it can be taken out of context and I don't, I don't think it would benefit us to spend a lot of time going through how people misunderstand that. If you wanna dive into that, uh, I can give you Patrick's number. Uh, so it'd be great. Uh, you can spend some time talking about this. But I do want to say this, that, that Paul's statement here does not obliterate or remove societal or uh, gender role distinctions. Instead, what Paul's statement uh, is was not that these gender roles, these racial and social roles do not, uh, no longer exist, but that they, they cease in Christ to be barriers that separate us from the Father and from each other. 
You see, it is that in Christ, they have been torn down because we are one in Christ Jesus. Paul is saying here that the outward distinctions are no longer a barrier to salvation. There are no divisions in the body of Christ based on race, race or ethnic origin or skin color or nationality or, or gender. And I think it's probably worth assuming the way he structured this sentence probably has a lot to do with the, the, the fact that he was a former Pharisee, right? And he knew well the prayer that was nightly said by those uh, Pharisees who he himself was one of the chiefs. And in summary, their, their, their nightly prayer was basically, I thank God that you have not made me a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. And so Paul is hitting literally a line drive right at these guys, saying with what he said, that there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, but through Christ and in Christ, we are all one. Paul is saying that since we are God's children in Jesus Christ, we have now the birthright of his children. And it is displayed not in, in rank and superiority, but in, in the equality of personhood, race, and, and societal status as children of God. You see, these were at one time barriers to membership in the family. But now the, these characteristics of, of these are, are the characteristics, rather, of the totality and ability of Christ's saving work and his ability to fulfill the promise made to Abraham. We have new life in Christ, and our new life comes with an equal footing for all, right? And that is at the foot of the Savior, of the cross of our Savior. We are able to equally access our loving Father because we are all now sons and daughters in Christ Jesus. Paul is saying here that we are one in Christ Jesus, meaning that we are united together as one family. So as, as one family, we can see not, not as barriers, but as, as divinely assigned responsibilities, right? These idea of, of, of race and position and sex, these are no longer barriers, but are now tools which can be used and accepted as opportunities to serve the body and glorify God the Father. So often people want to use these distinctions as dividing lines in the church, trying to separate what has been unified in Christ. But listen, church family, there is no contradiction to the equality and the unity we experience in Christ Jesus. Because his work on the cross is bigger and more powerful than all racial, ethnic, social, national, or sexual distinctions. And so what, what is really being said here is that we have the, the best and truest fellowship with one another when we are able to recognize our diversity, but see it as less important than the unity we have in Christ Jesus.
Let that be a, a gentle reminder to your hearts this morning to not look for lines that divide, but the life that unites in Christ. For just as we are now in Christ, sons and daughters of God, we are also, therefore, brothers and sisters to one another in Christ Jesus. So we are sons and daughters of God, and we are united in Christ. And finally, let's quickly consider this last verse. Verse 29. And you are now, and if you are in Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. So just as we are now God's children in Christ, and just as now we have, have been united as brothers and sisters in Christ, so also are we heirs of Abraham's promise in Christ Jesus. It means that we can now look to the promise made to Abraham and cling to the hope of justification by faith. You see, he is, he is tying back in all of this discussion, right, about who Abraham is and was. And he is saying, if you are in Christ, then you are sons and daughters of God, brothers and sisters to one another, and you are heirs according to the promise. He made this unique thing of he connected us to him, he connected us to one another, and he connected us to the past and his working movement of God throughout all of history. You see, it ties us up with these lists of, of saints in Hebrews 11. That means in Christ, we can not only call God our Father, and each other brothers and sisters, but we can now look back to, to what God did through Abraham and the promise made there and say that we are the descendants of, his pro, of that promise, that we are one of those who have been justified by faith just as he was. And so what you see Paul driving home is this clear contrast which is present in this text between being under the law and being in Christ. So the question is, can you see clearly to which family you belong? To the family of God as sons of God through faith in Christ, united with your brothers and sisters, sharing in the common story of God at work in our lives? Or are you still under the law? If we are under the law, then we are in bondage. We have no knowledge of forgiveness. We were still, as it were, in custody, like a prisoner in jail or in custody like a wayward child under a harsh tutor. I would say quite obviously, it is a tragedy to be in that prison cell. when you could be free? Is it, a, it is a tragedy that you are still under the tutelage and discipline of a guardian when you could be grown and a son and daughter 
If we are in Christ, we have been set free. And so our lives, brothers and sisters, should be not characterized by law, but by faith. Characterized by the promise and the hope we have in Jesus and not by the law. We know ourselves uh, in, in Christ, we can know ourselves as related to God and we can know that we are all God's children related to one another. And so as we close this morning, this is the, the thing I want to reflect on. Have we, if we are in Christ, clothed ourselves with Christ? Put on Christ daily? Or are we still walking back into the prison, acting like we're hanging out there? You see, John Stott, in, in his commentary on this, and I'll close with these words, says this, and he sums it up so well, that we cannot come to Christ to be justified until we have first been to Moses, that is the law, to be condemned. But once we have gone to Moses and acknowledged our sin, our guilt, and condemnation, we must not stay there. We must let the, the law do its work, which is send us to Christ. Pray with me. Gracious Father, I pray that we would daily clothe ourselves in your Son, that we would seek to put to death the works of the flesh and to glorify your name. Father, I pray that we would be united as brothers and sisters in Christ. Father, for those who are still clinging to the law, I pray that you would awaken their hearts to the truth, that they would turn to your son in the hope and grace and love and life that is found in him. We pray this in his name. Amen. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Thank you for worshiping with us through the preaching of God's Word. We exist to glorify God by making disciples. We would love to have you join us in person as we gather together on Sundays at 10 a.m. at the Covenant Preparatory School on Hamblin Road in Kingwood, Texas. To learn more about Christ Church Kingwood, visit our website at ChristChurchKingwood.org. Uh...